0: Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com.
1: You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. It looks like the icy relationship between Starbucks and the union that represents some store employees may be starting to thaw. As my next guest reported, yesterday, Starbucks Workers United and Starbucks announced that the two parties are beginning discussions on a foundational framework. Time will only tell how these discussions percolate. If they do strike an agreement, it would be a major move in corporate America where companies like Apple and Amazon continue to fight unionization efforts. Meanwhile, another company with Pacific Northwest roots, Microsoft, has found its way to work with unions in recent years. Here to talk about all of this, we have Noam Scheiber, a reporter for The New York Times. He focuses on labor and the workplace. Hi, Noam. Welcome. Thanks for being here.
0: Sure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So there was this big announcement yesterday from Starbucks Workers United and Starbucks Corporate. What was the announcement and what did they have to say about this shift in strategy?
0: Yeah. So the two sides announced that they are beginning discussions on a framework that will allow them to bargain fairly and efficiently, that will establish a fair process for having union elections going forward and for resolving the litigation that is outstanding on both sides. There's a lot of litigation, uh, everything from trademark infringement lawsuit by the company to defamation suit by the union to all kinds of unfair labor practice uh, complaints uh, on both sides, but mostly on the union side uh, against the company. Um, So they are hoping to kind of get a a sort of universal agreement on all this stuff. Uh, The company says that it wants to reach... Uh, collective bargaining agreements with all of its unionized stores uh, this year by the end of 24. That's a, that's a pretty rapid timetable. And um, it, it really does feel like a, a big strategic shift um, while the company had um, scheduled bargaining dates, union members complained that they were basically like phony bargaining sessions. The company didn't appear to have an interest in making progress. The company said it wanted to make progress, but the union was violating some of the ground rules like um, uh looping people in via Zoom or other video conferencing sites. At any rate, there wasn't a lot of bargaining happening. And now there really appears to be a lot of momentum uh, behind making this happen and making it happen pretty soon.
1: Does this have to do with the leadership change at Starbucks? I mean, longtime CEO Howard Schultz came back out of retirement to lead uh, this drive against unions, and he's been gone for about a year, is the new CEO CEO pushing for a more conciliatory stance
0: yeah i think there's no question um laxman narasimhan took over about a year ago as you say last march um uh, former executives that i've spoken to who've worked pretty closely with him have certainly had conversations with him about this say that he just has a much more conciliatory posture toward the union uh than howard schultz did howard schultz um Has said on a few occasions that he just could not imagine working with the union. He told us that um, in an interview in 2022, uh, Lax, as he's known, um, has just uh, given colleagues a sense that he is, um, he just takes a much more pragmatic view of this. He doesn't take the union campaign personally. And, you know, this is something we see a lot in different companies where Um, the founder or the longtime CEO, the person or small group of people who've really built up a company, um, they really feel like the company is kind of... a, a direct reflection on them. They feel very personally about it and they feel personally invested in it. Um, they feel like it's a, an extension of their identity. Whereas the second or third or fourth generation leadership tends to feel a little more zen about it and, and doesn't take things personally and, and tends to operate a little more pragmatically. So that may be something that we're seeing in this case as well.
1: Hey, you transitioned me perfectly to some of your reporting recently on what's been going on at Microsoft, another company um, headquartered not too far away from Starbucks. You reported this really fascinating story about how Microsoft has shifted its stance on unions. Give us the elevator version of that. I mean, how did this evolution come about and really make Microsoft an outlier in tech?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating story. Uh, Microsoft, of course, was famous, uh, many would say infamous, in uh, the 1990s for being uh, just a very hard-nosed, aggressive company, whether it came to its relationship with competitors, uh, famously Netscape, um, whom it um, tried to kind of put out of business, uh, according to the Department of Justice in the 1990s, or, or employees. Microsoft was early to rely on a lot of temps and contractors, um, and it typically paid those temps and contractors less than it would pay direct employees.
1: Very little job security in those roles as well.
0: Yeah, little job security. Um, The term uh, Microsoft uh, was tossed around a lot of 90s after a novel uh, by that name. Uh, so it was not known uh, as being the most um, generous and enlightened employer and certainly um, being a very, very aggressive and ruthless competitor. And um, I think the company really came to a sort of crossroads in the early 2000s after it finally started to put this litigation behind it, it reached a settlement with the Department of Justice and several states that sued it on antitrust grounds and was under uh, court uh, uh, oversight for many years after that. And some in the leadership, in the kind of next generation of leadership after um, Bill Gates uh, and after Steve Ballmer um, decided that, you know, um, we really can't can't keep going about things this way, being really aggressive and really ruthless and squeezing all our competitors. It may feel like it serves our short-term interests, but our long-term interest is really going to be better served by having better relationships with regulators, Uh, better relationships with, um, you know, congressmen and the federal government generally, and maybe even treating our employees a little bit better. So they really did this this kind of 180 um, when it came to all these different relationships.
1: And a lot of this transition has been coming to fruition with the acquisition of Activision, the video game giant Activision Blizzard. A lot of its subsidiaries, uh, Raven um, being among them, with a lot of testers have been like this fertile ground for union organizing. And Microsoft has decided to stay neutral in those um, in those situations. Now, you know, the question of motivation for Microsoft is a big one, right? You have federal regulatory scrutiny on a deal. It's probably in their favor to um, look like they're going to be friendly and play ball and, and not be the big, bad uh, monopolists that crush labor. Right, Noam? I mean, it, how can we sort of read the tea leaves here and understand what Microsoft is actually doing?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, this was a very large acquisition, $70 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Um, we know that the Biden administration is both very labor friendly, it has really good relationships with labor unions and takes uh, labor rights and labor organizing very seriously. And we also know that the Biden administration is really skeptical of, of consolidation in a whole variety of industries. You have Lena Khan at the FTC, you have the antitrust division of the Justice Department, both of whom have been very, very skeptical of consolidation of mergers and acquisitions, and they've actually brought a large number of lawsuits to block um, some um, very high-profile mergers. Uh, recently, uh, one one <laughs> recent one yesterday, uh, Albertsons and Kroger—they uh, they have sued to block. So these these regulators have been very active and very skeptical of consolidation. So. I think if you're looking at that landscape and you're Microsoft, it doesn't take, um, you know, a a rocket scientist to figure out that maybe having a good relationship with the union could help nudge this deal along. It does need uh, approval or at least not formal approval, but it needs to not be blocked uh, by the FTC. And, And so that you could imagine a case for doing this neutrality deal with the union to sort of help that process along. You know, I think there are a few other things going on there as well. Um, one is um, Microsoft, at the same time that it is pursuing this massive acquisition of Activision, it is also trying to incorporate generative AI into a whole range of products. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's office suite of products, its uh, search engine, its cloud computing uh, capabilities, and Chat TBT and Generative AI, uh, if uh, you've been following it closely, you are probably a little concerned about what this might mean for your future employment prospects.
1: I am very concerned, Noam. I think everybody I know is concerned that you're going to be reading and listening to a Generative AI chat bot uh, sooner rather than later, rather than myself on the radio. Yes, of course.
0: No question. I think there are a whole... Um, categories of employees, whether it's journalists, uh, finance people, computer programmers, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of writers, uh, lawyers, um, lots of white collar folks who didn't previously think of themselves as vulnerable to automation are now really wondering, you know, if their days as employable adults are over. And so um, you have Microsoft also being very sensitive to its concerns. Um, you know, it's a it's a company that's very sensitive to kind of the shifts in public opinion, in, in kind of um, uh, the political powers that be in the ideological currents in the country. And it's very clear that they look out and see a lot of anxiety about generative AI. And so I think it's not, again, a hard calculation to make that being seen as worker friendly and labor friendly might help take the edge a bit off of their uh, pretty rapid acceleration of their uh, AI capabilities.
1: But, you know, Google is developing AI and Google hasn't become more friendly to labor unions, has it?
0: No, um, very good question. And um, there are, you know, some principled um, decisions that they made. Um, Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, who's very much been a driver of this process, Satya Nadella, uh, the chief executive, who also, um, you know, comes to this with a, a view of how to treat workers and competitors and um, even labor unions. Um, And I think both of those um, decision makers have been really important. They do have a set of principles that they bring to this, as you say, Um, Other companies have faced organizing, whether it's Google or Amazon or Apple, um, those same companies have also faced a lot of antitrust scrutiny by the FTC and the Department of Justice, and they have generally taken steps to oppose unionization. I I think most people would say that Amazon has probably been most aggressive in opposing unions. Um, You know, Apple and Google, you know, to to lesser degrees, Apple is actually bargaining with two retail stores that have unionized, so they're, they're, you know, they're, they're showing some concrete steps there. But um, as a class, those companies have been much less open to engaging with unions and more oppositional in their response. So I do think there is an element of principle here, too, that you have to give Microsoft uh, executive or you have to at least acknowledge when it comes to Microsoft.
1: It's just a really fascinating story. And I appreciate your reporting. Noam Scheiber, a Chicago-based reporter for The New York Times who covers workers and the workplace. His story is called Why Microsoft Has Accepted Unions Unlike Its Rivals. I found it to be a really illuminating read, Noam. And thanks very much for your reporting and for being here.
0: No problem. Happy to do it. Really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thanks for listening to Soundside, And hey, this show is only possible because listeners support us. If you are able to give right now, check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.